What's up, everyone? We're at episode lucky number seven of How We Bounce Back. Tonight's guest is a go-getter, a driven graphic designer, and web developer out of New York City. She's a product designer at Postlight Digital Product Studio. She previously worked as a product designer at Zeal.com, graphic designer at Bullfrog and Bomb, and a UX designer at Startup Bus. She's got her master's at Pratt Institute in Communications Design. She always brings the energy in every room she steps foot in, and she can wield a lightsaber like Ray Skywalker from Jakku. She's from Orange County, California, and part of the famous Herd Clan. She's the one and only Tina Fan. Hi. Welcome to the show, Tina. Thanks so much for joining us. What's been new with you lately? I'm just trying to survive in New York, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> almost out of quarantine, almost about to make your way out to the parks and whatnot. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's an exciting time, especially in the summertime. New York City is very beautiful. And, um, you know, last year, everyone kind of missed spring. Um and now we we get to experience it, and it's it's quite wonderful. Uh oh, I'm sure elevated emotions now too coming into the summer. Yeah, we saw uh, flowers bloom, and that's very lovely. All right, Tina, I know I ran down your whole resume slash LinkedIn profile into your in your intro, but can you share with the audience what you do now and what why you like your job? Uh, so right now I am a product designer at um, an agency at, called Postlight. And it's wonderful. I feel like I, I've grown a lot um, into my role. I started at the beginning of the pandemic, and I feel like the things I get to do as a designer is like problem solving, helping people use the internet, basically. And my job is very weird because I feel like when I when I say things, when I try to describe my description, people are, are like. I, I don't understand what you do. So I basically have to cut, like water it down and say, okay, fine. I design websites and apps if you can understand that. And they're like, oh, okay. And ver is it a variety of apps or clients that you work with? Or is it just one client that you work with where you're designing different landing pages or, or whatnot? Yeah, or it's a variety. Like sometimes you can start, especially in my industry, there are like two types of design routes that you can go. One is like, um, in-house where you like just focus on what a company does in their internal products. Like let's say you work for um, a company called Zoom, for example, and you only work on what Zoom has to offer. That's an in-house. Um, for me, I work in an agency and that means like a variety of projects. I have different clients. And do you like it better that way? I feel like that's, it keeps everything fresh and new. We're having just a new client, a new, new thing to look at. Or do you feel like the stability of things working on one client or in-house is probably better for the long term. I don't know. What do you think is the, like the best? You know, probably there's no correct route. But what do you what what do you think is the best for you? I think for me, it means trying like a variety. Um, it's it's very actually common in my people in my industry for people to spend less maybe one to two year at a company just because they want to try new things, and that's okay. Um, you know how our parents have always especially in the older generation, they're like, you know, why don't you stick to a job for like 30 years? And <laughs> I'm like, if this, if this company does not serve me, peace, I'm leaving. But that's, that's how it is. Like we're like as designers or whatever in the tech industry, we're just trying to fulfill our own like creative needs. So if it doesn't interest us or if we're getting, you know, bored, uh, we tend to leave. Yeah. 
for sure. And I can't speak for, for everyone. It just seems like that's the trend and that's something like uh, I feel like I, I do. Cool. It's very cool to hear uh, how you look at it because it really does also, I think the trend is like keep your creative juices like fresh, you know. If you mm-hmm. feel like you're in one place for too long, ideas might get stale, might get burned out and whatnot. So uh, agency is a good opportunity. And there's also a lot of people that are also at the same stage in your as you know, we are in our careers. So it's really cool yeah. to, to hear all that. Uh, moving on to my next question. Your friends and family know this, but other people don't. So you took a very bold step in moving cross country from California to New York City to pursue your dreams. Can you describe what that journey has been like from when you wanted to make the move to where you are at today? Dude, I'll tell you, the beginning sucks. Like it's the the move when you first land in a new um, city. It's it's cool, right? It's refreshing, and you're like, dang, I made it, big big city person. And then when you really settle in, I was so homesick. I didn't have a lot of money, and like just the stress of like, what am I going to do? Cause I went for school. Like, what am I going to do to, to sustain myself? Like I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of job. I don't know anyone. So I just feel like in the beginning, um, it was very difficult. I honestly would tell you I've lived here for five years now and I feel like I've only began to feel comfortable. I think the first one or two years, like you get homesick. And you get like very worried that you can't make it and you have to go home. Yeah, New York City is definitely the big leagues. You know, you make it there, you're absolutely set, you know. But again, biggest city in the country, it's freaking expensive. We already know that. No, that's the risk you take when you move, though. Like, I know mm-hmm. um, people tell me, like, oh, you pay that much for rent. It's always the people who don't live in New York City who always give me that kind of shit. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm paying it, I'm living it. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I pay for it, yeah. but it's, it's because I don't, um, I moved. One of the big reasons was that I didn't want to drive anymore. I felt like having a car provided a lot of like social friction when you want to meet your friends, when you go to networking events, especially because I live in Orange County, which is like 40 minutes away from like Los Angeles. Um, I just felt like I didn't really need to, uh, I couldn't grow. So that's one of the main reasons why I moved to New York city. I'd love that. And yeah, it's, I mean, honestly, like the rent that you're paying is like you're paying for the experience too, the locality, how centered everything is, all the activities and networking events. Can't get that really in other cities except for maybe yeah. like a Chicago, San Fran, and uh, LA. But yeah, I know you mentioned also like didn't know a lot of people there. Your family and yeah. friends are 4,000 miles away. You know, was there anything specific in New York City that was truly almost like intimidating initially and almost discouraged you from staying there um, and, you know, prevented you from continuing down the path you wanted to go? And then, as you said, you just got settled in a couple or just like a year ago. How did you finally get settled in? I think just tenure, like sticking it out for a while. And I think my maybe advice to people who want to make that leap, like just try it. Like there's no shame if you want to go back because um, that who cares? <laughs> Who's going to judge you if you want to live this life? I always felt like I needed to do this. And if I fail, okay, fine. I'll go back home. But at least I, I know that I, I gave this a chance. Um, but I don't know. In the beginning, there are a lot of things that like annoyed <laughs> me. Like getting groceries 
<laughs> I had to, you can't pack in your car. I had to wear a backpack and take two subways. Oh, yeah. I think oh, at wow. one point I had soup cans in my backpack and I was like, <laughs> like F this, I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like the rent, the, when you find an apartment, it's also very difficult because everyone is competing for the same thing. And um, I think a few weeks ago when um, I think we were just looking um, at the street or something and we could see like a line of couples applying for an apartment and I was like why I don't want that (laughs) like they had applications ready they had the money check ready like if you you get in and you say if you wait a little for 10 minutes you're gonna lose your spot so like the competition is pretty pretty high um yeah little things that just annoy you but overall I, I I don't know I just felt like either I made myself not care to not let it deter me but also like I don't know what it is. I just thought over time it became a lot of things where I was able to tolerate better. I think it ties back with your first response, tenure, right? You know, you yeah. got used to it, right? So yeah. I'm sure at some point when you're carrying a heavy load of groceries, you're like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. I probably yeah. will buy less or I'll buy, buy one at a time or yeah. I'll take an Uber. Uh, maybe <laughs> Uber. Ubers are expensive in New York City. So I don't know how, you know, cost effective that could be. Yeah. But again, Tenure and repetition, you figure out how to make it easier every single time you, the next time you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to figure out what's worth it. But I do want to tell you, you, if you have these two things, you, you had it made in New York City. If you have a washer and a dryer in your apartment, game over. You have made it. (laughs) (laughs) A long time coming. What about an elevator? I feel like you need an elevator too. Can't be walking up to the 20th floor with a couch. Oh, there's a rule. So if they're, the building is higher than, um, like seventh floor or like five five floors or something, it requires an elevator. Oh, good. good. Okay. I I, I don't know if that's true for like the older buildings, but, um, for the newer buildings, they have that rule now. So thankfully you don't have to walk up like 20 flights. Oh, good. good. Five still is a lot (laughs) with a couch, but maybe I'm on the fourth floor, man. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Hey, you know, getting that leg workout while these gyms are closed. So Yeah. yeah. Working with what you got and making it easier every time. The tenure, I'm sure you're going to feel like um, you got it all figured out, you know, a, a couple mm-hmm. years you know, from now. Yeah. All right, Tina. Well, let's get into the more lighthearted, sometimes silly questions because you know that's how we like it over here. Can you describe the worst website design that you ever worked on and how you fix things up for them? The thing about my job is that, like, you think that I work on how it looks. It's actually how it works. And how then works. you see how it looks. And what I mean by that, this, this job is very theoretical. So, like, if you could imagine how I build a website to how a building is built, um, you get the, the architects and then you have the engineers who build it and then you get the interior designers. That's how I, That's how you should think about how I do this job so oh example, okay okay yeah because um product design it's more like you know code and software things that are not tangible and you're using this on the screen um it's it's really difficult for people especially like people like my parents our parents to really understand what i do but mm-hmm. i would say that um i really couldn't tell you what the worst is it's just that sometimes when people are building the sites they don't understand how users use a website 
So for like example, Google is a Google or Apple are great examples of like how you use a product. Like when you connect your earphone to that phone, like when it knows how to connect automatically, that's something an engineer and a designer has touched upon and has thought and advocated in, in your favor. Like they have advocated for the user to make it really easy. Um, I know this is like super esoteric. No, this but is good. It's good. Like anything that you cannot do manually, um, whether it's like through Bluetooth or digitally or done for you, it's it's some a person has thought it through, and that person is me or an engineer or someone else. Uh, let's talk about EDM. You know, I know you again, fam- friends <laughs> of the famous Herd Clan. You know, uh, and I know you've yeah. been to a couple of EDMs. <laughs> but EDM, something I have very little knowledge about. If you had to pitch to a, a non-EDM fan to listen to EDM and sort of what that music does for you, not sure if you're a big EDM fan or just a casual, mm-hmm. but if you had to pitch to a non-EDM fan that this music is kind of cool, what would you pitch to them? I don't know. I, I don't know if I will make them listen to it because sometimes you have preferences. But one thing I do respect about EDM music or producers of this kind is how they um particularly some mus- uh, producers they are very meticulous in the way they make music mm. um i'm referring especially to this artist called madian or porter Robinson. i'm a huge fan of their music and i i feel that the way that they make music i have so much respect for them and that's why i listen because like there are music that are like boom 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 it's cool it's great but the way that they like approach music, the way they approach composition, and then they like mm. use inspiration that's not music. Um, I use that for my process too because I'm so inspired by like the way to make it. Not and like the outcome just happens to be really great. That's so cool. That's really cool how you described it. Not deep house, but yeah, there needs to be a little bit of some thank I you guess, rhythm to it. <laughs> I've been there before where it's like, yeah, after 10 drinks and you're listening to Deep House before going to bed and you're like, oh, it's throbbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd be sold with that <laughs> if you if you were to tell it to me like that. Yeah. It's I think definitely if you one. don't want to listen to the song, maybe listen to how they talk about music. That's actually how I got into EDM. I heard one of them um, talk about like how they make music, like when it comes to like, getting vocals or like how they add on like different tracks and music so that it's like sort of layered. I'm like, Oh, that's really interesting to see how they make it. And they're so thoughtful. They're not just people on, you know, their records and just pressing buttons. That's not it at all. And that's how I got into it. Wow. That's very cool. You kind of like respect, you started to admire and respect like who the person is or artist behind it. And you want to like follow like, you know, okay, you, they had, the sophisticated production, this, you know, the way they choreograph and put this together. Um, I respect, you know, it's like you kind of won the fans' respect. So I, I like that. And now I'm going to put on some Porter Robinson after we get oh, off and try don't to. Don't even lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Rosemary and Christina uh, favorite, too. So I'll check it oh, out. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right, Tina, before we get into the deeper stories, let's play a quick game of trivia. I'm going to ask you four random questions. I'm sure you go with all of your coworkers to do random trivia night and whatnot out there at the bars in New York City. So this is just for fun. No competition. Not even going to tell you the subject. We had Bernie had the subjects last week. You're, you're not getting any advantages here. No subject with this. Just random questions and facts. And let's see what you got. Okay. Sounds good. Question number one. What's the most expensive home in the world? A, the White House, 
B, the tallest apartment in New York City. C, the uh, where the prime minister lives in India. Or D, Buckingham Palace. This is the most expensive, right? Most expensive, yeah. We still paying rent on this? You said what? <laughs> no, no, it's bought. It's probably funded or something. I don't know. Ooh, okay. that, that, that apartment, that condo in New York City, that, that there's a building out there taller than Empire State Building. That look definitely looks I feel expensive. like B. I'm going to go with B. Which one? The New York? Uh, New York City apartment. That actually is really expensive. I've seen that. It's um, it's like almost $100 million in worth of property value. But that is incorrect. It is, it is actually Buckingham Palace, of course. Why? How could we ever guess in the UK? Okay, well, obvious now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was yeah. obvious before. Question number two. What mammal doesn't have vocal cords? A, an elephant. B, an eagle. C, a giraffe. Or D, a kangaroo? <laughs> vocal cords. I've never heard a kangaroo yell. So I'm gonna go with a kangaroo. That's, I haven't heard a kangaroo yell either, except for maybe in Kangaroo Jack. But that is incorrect. It's actually a giraffe, which is crazy. I don't know where that vocal cord would be positioned on that long, long ass neck, but yeah. <laughs> See, it's obvious now when I get the wrong answer. <laughs> I swear my critical thinking skills are a lot better than this. No, it's okay, it's okay. All right. Question number three. The Statue of Liberty was given to the U.S. by which country? A, the U.K., B, Germany, C, Spain, or D, France? Oh, you! Oh, we got a fellow New York New Yorker over here. We gotta gotta know where that green statue. Give me a bow, and I'm American. The Hudson River. <laughs> where that coming from? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think it's I think it's D. You're correct. It's France. Oh. That is correct. <laughs> Woo! There you go. I got one thing right. I never Maybe. even went to the statue yet. Then, then oh. Yeah, it's very touristy, so there's no need to go there. <laughs> yeah, we stay. Oh, you should go to Times Square. I'm like, please stop. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Stay in Williamsburg. Stay in the East Village area. We got you. We got you. But yeah, very, very nice statue that was given by France. I believe it was actually not green. It was like um, brown or copper, and then it just molded to green oh. over the years. Yeah. <laughs> Your water. Oh, oh yeah, that, Hud that Hudson River do, sh do sure smell good. Yeah. Disgusting. People just see that. I'm like, you guys are <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, your your whole herd crew, they're all big Disney Disney fans, right? They're all, they love Disneyland out there. I'm sure you might have been there a few times. But what year was Walt Disney born? A, 1891. B, 1798, C, 1920, or D, 1901? Um, I'm gonna go with 1901. Yeah, that's correct. All right, oh, I gave you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. He did the, the Steamboat Willie thing in like the 20s. Like it, it has to be somewhere. <laughs> there <laughs> you go. Process of elimination right there with the multiple choice. Yeah. Definitely not 1700. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like it, Tina. <laughs> All right, Tina, let's get into the deeper questions. 
What was the toughest time during your journey in New York City, and how did you bounce back from it? You know, I, I think there's like two parts to that. Um, I can talk about the most recent one where like I, I feel like I am going through it right now, and I don't know if I'm bouncing back yet. I mean, had you asked me a few months ago, I would have told you a more inspiring story, and I think that's what this podcast is doing. But like, I, I want to be honest with you, and like, it's not always a good experience. Like when you're, especially during COVID, and I feel like every, I feel like what I'm going through is like a more a delayed response. Where, um, yeah, it's just like a tough time where I'm actually evaluating like, do I even want to do what I do at my job anymore, or, or do I want to do this long term? And I feel like a lot of people that I work with are just so burnt out and they had to leave. Because they're like, I see no end to it. I, I kind of have to reevaluate what I want to do with my life from now on. Um, so yeah, that's one part. I think I'm I'm going through it. Uh, I don't think I'm I'm bouncing back at all. Actually, I'm just trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But if you do want a more concrete answer, um, there was a time before COVID, a little before that, where I was, I think, was going through a rough time where I thought I had to be back. Um, I think it's normal for new for anyone new who moves to New York to to have that um, pitfall where they they are like oh shit I, I there's a reality that I have to move back home because I just can't support myself and it was when um like my the the previous company wasn't doing well so like a lot of us were just laid off all at once and like at that time I was working like almost below minimum wage I was just I was just trying to I was barely making it. I wasn't really making it. And I felt like, what a disappointment. I don't have a job. I'm not doing what I want. And two, I couldn't support myself. And and during that time too, I was going through a breakup. It was, it felt like a triple, like a triple bomb that hit me. And I, I think the worst part was when I had to ask my mom for support, like asking her, like, can I borrow money just for rent? And it wasn't even to buy clothing. It was just to pay rent. And, and I felt like such a huge disappointment because um, I, I also did feel pressure like for myself. No one's actually putting this pressure, the pressure that, hey, I actually moved out of my home to this new city that everyone is glamorizing. And like, I bet they're so disappointed at me. Like, I have to fulfill this fantasy that I'm making it, that I'm always networking, that I'm always on the go. And um I know. I think after that, I I had to reevaluate. I just felt like I couldn't actually do it anymore. <laughs> not mentally, like physically, financially, could not do it. And I I don't know if I ever recovered from that because now I feel like at my job, I'm always defending. I'm always defending my job, like that I deserve to be here, even though the company isn't really putting that pressure on me. Um, and and I don't know. I after you get let go, you go through a period where you just don't feel like a valuable um, like person in your, in your industry because like, because you got let go, you are disposable. And I, I think the only thing that got me, kept me going was that someone just told me like, what are you going to do? Move home? What are you going to do? Stop. And I felt like, okay, I didn't really feel at it like it at the moment, but I had to, you know, update my portfolio. I just had to keep applying because like not, not trying wasn't 
really an option either. I don't know. It's just a mentality in New York. Like people who live here, they really can't afford to, but we still do it anyway. So I, I think it, it's gotten better, but I don't think the trauma um, has gone away. And I think it's like, you know, don't want to be so hard on yourself in tough times like this and where you felt like it was trying to get better. And then, of course, pandemic happens. And, you know, yeah, um, it's like, you know, um, oh, I was on my way. And like now this happens as a setback. There's no timeline to this. There's no wrong way. There's a lot of right ways to do it. And I feel like, you know, um, the, it, it can be take. There's no rush. It can be taken, you know, um, based on like how you feel comfortable, and you probably like look at things where, um, you know, you worry about what other people are gonna say. But the yeah. only person that can really judge you is you, you know. And so, mm-hmm. even if you feel like you're not, um, you know, making ends meet or struggling, like yeah, like you definitely you know, it's going to be hard at first because it's a big city. It's like, you know, no, there's like, especially in New York city, like there's no, like, there's no really easy path, especially if you grew up somewhere else. Right. Yeah. I agree. You know, it's not, so it's like, don't, don't really be hard on yourself in terms of I'm not really making it because you like, you're starting from, from, you know, scratch. I'm sure our parents can tell us like coming from overseas and immigrating here, they start from scratch. Can you imagine what kind of laundry list of difficult times that they would have gone through? So, yeah. and now you can see that they had raised uh, families. And yeah. so I uh, don't want to get too far ahead of that, but <laughs> I think for you, again, there's always that light in the tunnel. You said at the beginning of the interview, tenure is what's definitely making you feel more wiser and knowing uh, how you're going to do it every day. You were getting used to all the nuances and, mm-hmm. and stuff in the city. So um, there was a quote in the previous episode from uh, JB. It's like, you know, sometimes you might not need to even look for, you know, the profession that you want to be in. It might just find you at some point if you, you know, I like that. go through an emotion. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to go too much further because, again, you're still, you know, sort of like going through, uh, you know, that situation of bouncing back. But know, know that that time will come and be it. Yeah. A person like you, Tina, I said it before the podcast. It's already been five years. Be it someone like you, that time will definitely come because people have been in that city and it's one year or two years and they're out. And it's same people that go to LA. I'm in LA. They thought I was coming back after two years or three years and they're out. Right. So, yeah. you know, you, tenure, you know, that, that light of the tunnel is coming. You know, just stick in there, hang tight. Your skin is going to get tougher. You're going to be able to endure the BS a lot easier now, you know, and again, uh, it's only natural that the thing that you want, the thing that you want to do in life might find you instead of you trying to find it. Yeah. I think to an extent, um, I, I think that people should be okay with you not having your career as your life where like, I was speaking to my manager about this. She was like, you know, I'm, I'm what I do. I like what I do. It's just not my life. Like, I think what's interesting isn't about design. My life is interesting. And she prioritizes her personal life. And I think that, you know, especially uh, this is prevalent on like social media, like the hustle life or, you know, being the best that you're or a rock star or a shooting star at your job. 
Um, I've come to to realize that I am not that person, and it's actually okay because, I like, I I am good at my job. I like what I do. I just don't make it. You know, I don't breathe it twenty four seven. Um, some people do, and they're amazing. It's just that it's not for me, and I I think that's acceptable for me. I think for the longest time, I've also beat myself over like, oh, why can't I be that person? Why can't I have like, tw- why can't I do twenty four hours like? Of my job, if I want to be good at it, and I, I think there's a different route. I think people should be okay with that. They, they don't have to do this. Um, they don't, have, they don't have to take the route that they, that everyone talks about when it comes to like side hustle or entrepreneurship. Yeah, and it, yeah, it, we're in such a generation of like millennials and Gen Z that are so like, you know, they use also entrepreneurship as like a way of like forming their own clout or like trying to like show off and impress. Yeah. But sometimes. I think you've done this like, and I've done it too. Like just turn off social media or don't get on it and just focus on yourself and focus just being in the moment with family, you know, or if you be in the moment with friends. And, uh, I think I've said, I've heard uh, a couple of times would work. Even some, some workplaces are now trying to say, you know, you at work, it's you're there temporarily. Family yeah. is forever. Friends are forever cherish the time with them. And like, if you, you know, sometimes like you, well, I think for our parents' generation, they work to make ends, uh, to make ends meet, but what they cherish, it's like the work doesn't define them. What defines them is just loving and being around their family and friends. And that's, that's what matters, you know, just going out to restaurants, going out to, you know, concerts, going to the park and, you know, doing yoga or just being outside or, being the ones we love is probably a career that is probably yeah. understated that actually can see the most happiest people in this life, you know? And so um, I love how you just said that. And I'm starting to learn more about that too myself is where take a step back and just really enjoy the small yeah. moments too, especially with everything that's gone on in this pandemic. So um, love how you say that, you know, maybe it's like our, it will it, be a generational shift where it's like a less focus off of, the career and whatnot but maybe at some point something might fall so fall into your lap too just enjoying the life that we have is like you know what's important i think now our generation especially during covid we we have to re- reevaluate like your job is just part of your life your life is actually the more interesting uh, aspect yeah, absolutely. where do you see your career going a few years from now don't really you know like looking at that yet i'm asking I was going to ask, do you approach things day to day now? Or do you still think long-term visioning is helpful at this career stage? I think before it was really easy before, before, I mean, pre COVID COVID really has changed everything. And before it was easier for me, for my goals to be a checklist where like I, you know, my goal would be get a job at this company. I want a salary of a hundred thousand dollars and you know, it's easy to check it off. Yeah. But when you reach that goal, I think you, um, like, what's next? Yeah. And I think what I've done differently now is I think about the person I want to be or the values I really appreciate because your goals will change. So, and I feel like if you, let's say your goals change and you don't reach it and you end up feeling bad about it, that's not a very, it's not a very kind thing to, to treat yourself. Or to do to yourself, because your goals are going to change. Your mentality is going to change, as COVID has showed. Um, so I think now, learning from that, I set systems where I'm like, I oh, I think one of my goals this year was like, I want to invest more. 
And like around that, I would have systems. Like I will look into like what these companies do. Each month I will invest, you know, $200. And like, it's, it's a system for me to like, or habits. You know, you're just creating habits for yourself. And for me, the, the goal in mind is not to make, not to reach a number. My goal is, is to be financially literate. And it's, it's not something you can check off, right? Because it's, it's, a, it's sort of like a value that you hold, a value of who, who you want to be. And I feel that's somewhat that, that really has been helpful. Wow. That's very cool. And you're, I mean, I, again, that's also like, you know, when you look at investments, sort of that long-term visioning yeah. of where it's going to be, but it's sort of just, you know, letting that investment ride, not, not necessarily, because I, I, I like yeah. how you said, it's like when you check uh, something off the box and you look for what's next, it's kind of not, you're not even like celebrating, you know, like what, what you yeah, just accomplished, like, what's right? Next? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it helpful for for people to just evaluate like what your goals or what your values are. Um, not even like short-term or like long-term goals, which helps, right? But like, don't focus too much if you don't achieve it. Like if you don't achieve it, make new goals. You talked about family a little bit. Let's think about them. How have your parents, your brother, Danny, your family shaped the way you, um, and I was going to say your career is at today, but mm-hmm. let's not say your career is at today. How has your family shaped where your life is at today? They definitely showed me what I don't want at the moment. <laughs> to be fair, Orange That's County. Cut is, out. <laughs> Orange County is a great place to grow up. It's wonderful, actually. Great, like um, school systems, in my opinion. I um, oh, but one of the best in the country. Yeah. Yeah, but I think at the time I'm like, you know, I I don't want that right now. Um, so, so which is why I moved out here and I get guilted for it all the time, actually. And I feel guilty for even leaving, but I knew that I wasn't a good person when I was at home. I was very restless. Um, I was always bored. I didn't take care of myself and it's because that environment, um, perpetuated it. And I knew that I had to leave in order to appreciate it. And I feel that my family, they're very supportive, but also a lot of things where I carry that mentality towards me in New York good and bad. I think the good is that like I take inspiration from my family where they did the same thing when I was young. Like they left the country, um, started new too, and they were able to, to do this for me. Like this, this is their gift to me. Um, but I can say the bad is, or not bad, but more like challenging. Um, it's really the guilt that like I am living here and they are there and they have to deal with things that I cannot. Um, And it's, it's. Hard. It's like when, when family members are sick, it's, it's hard to, to not worry. I'm with you a hundred percent on that. Yeah. Especially with us, like moving across the country, like we know this is right for ourselves, but we, because we love our families so much, we like feel um, guilty for living this life and they're, and they're there. So yeah, but I do call them every day. I call them to check in on the dog. Um, I feel like we are closer. I feel like a better adult here because, um, I mean, I lived at home. My mom did everything for me. And I um, here I do everything for myself. I'm a more responsible person. 
I'm going to jump in there, Tina. Um, like you said, we both move cross country and it's hard, you know, um, because like we want to seek a life out for, you know, to also help them for raising us to the way we are today. But then also, like, we're seeking our own development, our own maturity, our own way to find things, kind of like they did moving here. Yeah. Uh, but then then you, we start to internalize, like, am I being selfish okay. for not be, being there? Yeah, we, I know that runs through your mind a lot, and it runs through my mind probably every other day. Wow. Um, but always know that parents, like, especially what they have gone through, like, coming here to America – they are always going to be proud no matter what we do. They're, they're always going to be like, you know, my dad passing away. Like I definitely wish I moved back during the pan pandemic or before that um, just to spend more time with them or just to, yeah. you know, or maybe I should have not moved so soon, you know, or, you know, but I, I just recall like, you know, some, some of the things that, you know, that my, my dad says, is that you know you you don't worry about us you know you you do what's you know what's and your parents have probably said this too you do like you know what's what's good for you that's going to make you happy because they are always going to be proud of us you know and they know that there's going to be a long life for us too and uh i i you know what what would you said is that you know being away and this goes for people that even younger in Gen Z that go to college that are sometimes take family for granted and parents for granted is that going away, you start to appreciate what you had at home more, you know, and me and you being you in New York and your family in Orange, Calif Orange County, California, my family in Virginia, and I'm out here in LA is that we get closer to them over the years because you're restless. I was too at home. I was like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm not doing anything in my childhood bedroom. Like, what am I doing to myself? Not, not meaning before I met Rosemary, not meaning no new girls or no, 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 nobody. Like, you know, not going out, no social life. Get restless, right? It's the young adult years. But my mom, she came here in her in her early twenties, and she lived a long decade of her twenties before meeting my dad. I'm sure your parents had some something similar, and it's just like, you know we should be able to also live the lives that we want to. Our parents understand that, you know? And I feel like had it not been for us moving out so far, you know, we probably wouldn't be as concerned, as close as, you know, as close as like how we talk to them every day, the way we catch up with each other, the way we're proud to say things about each other, the way maybe our parents are proud to tell us about their day or week. Had I not moved out here, I probably would not had the said it in the beginning episode for my dad's tribute, I would have yeah. never called him and had weekly conversations, not to just talk about like, you know, um, oh, like, you know, how, how was your day? You know, what's for dinner, whatnot. It's also to just talk about stories, to talk about life, to talk about, you know, oh, how did you, I'm about to, you know, do, do so-and-so and Rosemary, or like, how did you court mom? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, how did you, you know, it's like, you talk about long story, the legacy, right? And so um, I feel like with distance, you know, my dad has said this too, is with distance, like we, we find our maturity and we find our, we, we so crazy that with distance, we get closer with, with our parents. So don't ever feel the guilt of being so far away because you know, yeah. I, I think about that every day, Tina. I really do think about that. I, it's not every other day. I really do think about it every, every day. It really I, is you know, a curse and burden and a gift of yeah. 
yeah. children of immigrants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like to feel that way, but also feel like you need to do this part to have a better life. And then they, they will always be thinking about this. They'll always be proud of us. And once, one, once, you know, at once someday, you know, we can cherish the fruits of our labor, you know, we don't have to rush to that now, but like, you know, and then they, they see, you know, their grandkids someday, you know, it's all comes full circle, but to be honest, it's full circle right now because you're living the life that you want your dream, you know, and every time you pick up that phone and talk to your mom and dad, they're always so happy to talk to you. They're probably always so excited to, and when you come home, especially that though, those moments of seeing each other have been elevated even more. Every time I see my parents, the last five years have always been the best moments of my life. So I just want you to know that, you know, it, it's never the guilt on us, but it's always how proud they are of us for doing the things that we want to do. And we will find, find, find a time to also kind of repay them for everything that they've done for us. You know, it's just like, you know, so the day I make that money to yeah. be able to pay for the lifestyle, isn't that a dream? Mm-hmm. It's really fine. Like I really don't. I feel like when it comes to dreams, I, I the only one I can think of right off the bat of my head, which I've had for like almost ten years, is like just one or two goals, and it's not even about my career. It's not about um, like personal goals either. It this one is like I want to take my dad to a World Cup game. Oh, and the second one is. I want, I want, yeah, I was born during the World Cup. So I think it's uh, poetic that that should happen. Go yeah, ahead. having these goals is really important. I I hope people don't tie their worth and identity to a career or a job. You know, like the first so. thing I need someone, I try not to say, what do you do? Which is a very American thing to say. We automatically oh, say, oh, yeah. hi, what do you do? And I feel like you're automatically tying your work to your employment so i yeah. i try not to say that or ask a question when i meet new people I yeah. say, i'll say things like oh what what interests you lately or like what do you like to to do recently i love that yeah yeah i ask this question every episode if there's one big piece of advice you can share with the audience what would that be i think one of the biggest ones which i'm learning to do is um like step away from the screen and do something that is more tangible. Like I got into this freaking punch needle kit. Let me show you. Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. And it's, you know, I, I, oh, sorry. I think it's important to get into hobbies that are not tied to, that's not a side hustle. That's not making money. That isn't telling you to be something. And it's just is. And like, look at this thing. I think it's so silly. It's like punching yarn into a pattern. I think what I'm trying to get at is like trying to get good at living. Yeah, just enjoy your life in a way that's that's not um, on the screen or um, protecting an image or your brand. Like, are you living for yourself or are you living for your brand? I think um, you need to decide that. Do you have more activities? I feel like you have more to share, though. Like, you know, New York City, you live in Williamsburg. Like, it's got to be more, Tina. I feel like this period is very weird because before um, the lockdown or quarantine, I felt like I did a lot. And, like, because everyone was mandated to stay inside, it, I felt like that was a resting period. And now we're emerging from lockdown, right? And now I'm, like oh my God, what do I do for fun anymore? Like, that's not in my apartment. I think a lot of people in New York are, are evaluating that. Like, what do we like to do? What is acceptable? Um, and I'm not sure. 
because the things that I used to do before don't interest me now. So I think I'm I'm trying to figure out whether it's like taking a longer walk through the park or like doing this in the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm still trying to figure out like what really makes me, um, what, what brings me joy, as cliche as that sounds. Okay, Tina, last question before we sign off. Uh, I know we talked about Star Wars again, you know, just, you know, we're movies. Let's stick with the movies. Let's stick with the movies okay. now. But if you could put yourself in any of the Star Wars timeline within the movies, episode one through nine, um, you know, the, you got the Order 66, you got the Luke and Leia era, and then you got the Rey era, badass, you know, going from Chaku to take out the Emperor. Where would you put yourself in the timeline to help save the galaxy if you yourself were the Jedi? I'm going to stick with Rey. Oh, Answer. girl duo right there. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I told you, she, I feel like for me, when, um, you know, when Star Wars first came out and it was like a huge revelation for everyone and every kid was like so inspired, that moment when I saw Ray, that was it for me as an adult. Um, I didn't get into Star Wars um, when I was younger as a kid. And I, I feel really bad about it because most kids were like, they grew up with Star Wars. So now they deem me as a fake. Don't care. No, don't care. All I'm saying is like that, that moment for me was almost as inspirational as like kids who were like babies and they grew up on Star Wars. So I'd like to, to feel like I'm closer to her if I were just like in that timeline. All right, Tina. Well, I'm going to give you a quick closer. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Always in awe of what you do out there in New Thank York you. City. We're rooting for you to be to for your success, whatever you take, and your happiness is which is even more important than the career path that you take. And we hope that your story and just not focusing so far ahead, day to day, living in the moment, helps guide other people to overcome any of the BS they come across. Especially, you know, people like us that have moved cross country and then still just yeah. trying to figure out, you know, just what that purpose is. It's going to come, and that light's coming at the end of the tunnel. And then, you know, and someone else, yeah, feels that they're inspired to take, you know, a similar path that you took. Because, again, New York City is, you know, that's not, it's not easy at all. And you did it. And so yeah. you're going to keep doing it. So you always make us proud, Tina. Let's all reunite soon when you come back out here to California. We miss you. And thank you again. Bye. Thank you so much. Tune in next week for our mid-season finale featuring James Namudi, a seasoned marketing professional and brand strategist at Amazon Alexa and previously at Brand USA. If you're on Apple Podcasts, hit us with a five stars and leave us a nice review. All right, everyone, stay safe, smiles up, big glass, positive energy all around. And if you're a raver, keep raving your ass off once these concerts come back. All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in. She's Tina. I'm James. See you all next week.